Tonight we will continue our journey through the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and cover the entire chapter. And so just like last week, there's a lot of verses uh, to cover. Um, so we'll kind of read as we go through the, narr- through the narrative. Uh, but what I want you to see tonight and what we're talking about is the arrival of the Messiah. And our main point is, or to kind of uh, sum all of this up, is that the arrival of the Messiah brings consolation and peace to God's people. The arrival of the Messiah brings consolation and peace to God's people. And so we're um, hopefully going to see that as we read through um, Luke chapter 2. the, this narrative goes through four uh, A words, um, and the first one is, uh, is uh, sorry, hold on. The first word that we're going to look at is Advent. Advent. So let's read in Luke chapter 2, um, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses. Everybody there? Okay. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So uh, this passage is, is the advent of Christ. Advent just means arrival. Uh, It's typically what we celebrate during the Christmas season. We we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And in fact, we just uh, went through this season of Advent. And so some of these things are going to be really familiar to you. Uh, We've read this story uh, many times uh, during during that season. Uh, We celebrate Jesus' first coming, but we anticipate his second coming. Um, I think it was uh, J.C. Ryle that said, that said this, like, is that um, we, we celebrate Jesus' first advent, his first coming to man, and, and then we live in expectation of and in and, and hope of uh, his second advent, his second arrival to earth where he will, um, where he will gather his people and, 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 and bring them into eternity with him. Uh, so that's what this this passage is about: is the arrival of of the Messiah, the arrival of Jesus. Uh, a couple things we want to note here is that num is is that number one, there's a registration. Okay, so again, Luke, being a being the historian that he is, places his account in real historical events and timelines. Uh, Caesar Augustus is, is who it says in verse one. Caesar Augustus, Augustus. Uh, issued a decree that everyone go to their own hometown and be registered. 
kind of like how we have a census in in America today every so so many years. Uh, it's just to count how many people are there, okay? To to take note of, of who who people are, where they're from, uh, where they live, all of those things. And and probably what he's doing is instituting a new tax. He he wants to institute a new tax, and and so he needs to know how many people are there, how many people need to pay the tax, things like that. Uh, Joseph, who is Mary's fiance. Uh, was from Bethlehem. So he had to return to Bethlehem to be registered. And since Mary was close to delivering the baby, um, she traveled with him. She went with him to Bethlehem. Uh, The trip would have probably lasted about three days from Nazareth to Bethlehem, um, but it probably took a little bit longer because of Mary's pregnancy, because of her condition. Uh, Interesting note about Augustus. is if you've read the the Shakespeare play Julius Caesar, um, he was previously known as Octavian, uh, and he was Rome's first full emperor. Okay, so so the the uh, he was the first dictator that was over the entire Roman Empire. Before this, they had they kind of ruled by uh, a team of people or or um, a group of people, things like that. Anyway, um, do what. Yeah, 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 he did. Um, and so he was, he was the first full emperor, and arguably he was the best emperor that Rome ever had. He centralized the government. He instituted reform. He instituted a better, uh, better justice system for them um, and brought a time of peace to the empire. Um, but some of the bad things that he did was that he also instituted emperor worship, uh, which brought a lot of persecution to the Jews and eventually the Christians. Emperor worship being that he viewed himself as a god or a son of the gods and that he that the people of Rome were supposed to pledge allegiance and worship, give praise to him and him alone. So this is the context that Jesus is born into. Um, and, and, the, and the context that he would eventually do ministry in this 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 un, this this being under this oppressive Roman government who expected people to give allegiance to their ruler. Um, it's also the context in which Israel is anticipating the Messiah. Israel expected the Messiah to be a political one who would come and uh, overthrow Roman go- the Roman government and lift Israel uh, back up to a place of prominence as God's people. Uh, but I w- what I want you to see here, and the, the reason we make this kind of side note here, is that, uh, that we see in Luke's account that the plan of God is being accomplished even by a pagan emperor. Even Augustus, who considered himself a god, who was far away from being a Christian or, or following God or anything like that. He was being used by God to fulfill the prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. God, the, the important thing that we need to see here is that God makes his plans and what he decrees gets accomplished. God's plans do not fail. It's kind of what we, if we go back to Luke chapter 1, that's kind of what we, we talked about there. He fulfills his promises, right? What God says is going to happen will happen. 
And so we see even through Augustus, even through a pagan emperor, we see God's plan being fulfilled in him. Uh, the, second, the second question we come to is, who is Joseph? Luke does not mention Joseph in chapter 1 as one of the four visits, but Matthew does. In Matthew 1, 18 through 25, Matthew's account of the advent of Christ, um, we meet Joseph, and Joseph is uh, the man in the relationship. He, he is engaged to, uh, to Mary. They're, during, they're in their year-long engagement process, uh, as was custom in, during the time. Um, he gets kind of the same, same visit from an angel that Mary gets. Uh, Gabriel comes to him, tells him that, that Mary is, is with child, that, it, that it, is the, it is the Lord's doing, and that this child will be named Jesus. Uh, and, and so why does Luke not include Joseph? And the answer that I can, I can kind of see and, and what makes sense to me is that um, Luke pretty much doesn't include Joseph in his account because Matthew does. If we remember that, that Luke probably used Matthew's gospel to write his narrative, um, Matthew included Joseph, so Luke included Mary. Matthew does not include Mary. Okay, so Luke includes Mary in this, and, and, and which fits with the theme of Luke's gospel, Jesus being a savior for all people. Women were very marginalized in biblical society. And so Luke wants to um, show the, the, and kind of elevate these, um, these marginalized people. And so he includes Mary's account. Also, um, if we take the first four verses of Luke in that, and, and we believe that Luke used eyewitness accounts to write his gospel, at the time that Luke is doing his digging, uh, Joseph's not alive. In fact, in, in historically speaking, Joseph doesn't make it to Jesus' crucifixion. He dies long before Jesus dies. Uh, Mary is at, at the crucifixion. She's still alive. And so Luke, most likely interviewed Mary about these things, and so he chooses to include, uh, include Mary in his account. Um, and then the last, the last thing we see in this passage is that the Savior is born, is that Jesus comes into, into the world. There's no room at the inn in Bethlehem, probably due to the influx of people coming to be registered. They had to make do. They had to uh, they had to go to the to the animal stables the, the the animal stalls and there's a lot of debate on on what these stables look like were they just the second story of a house or or the bottom story of a house or was it a cave was it a barn um, it's not clear but the important thing to note is that the son of God the king of heaven was born in a feeding trough. He was, he was born, in, the, born in, in, in a barn, whatever, but he was, he was born in very lowly conditions. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that he became, though he was rich, he became poor for your sake. And so this is just this picture of Jesus Christ, Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ figure, giving up his robes for rags giving up a throne for a feeding trough 
The Savior of the world is now here. So we see the advent of of Christ, of Jesus. And the second thing, the second A word that we want to look at is announcement. Announcement. Look, look Look at your Bibles in verses 8 through 20. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they, have, they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Surely, God would choose to announce that the Savior of the world, his birth, he would choose to announce his birth to, a, to this powerful emperor of Rome who thought he was God. Or maybe even King Herod, who was the king over Jerusalem at this time, king over the Jews. A birth of this magnitude is surely great news that deserves to go to important people, right? But no. God chooses to announce the birth to shepherds. Why shepherds? Shepherds were low-income field workers. They had no legal or societal standing. They were considered dirty or unclean. Why would God choose to make Jesus' birth known to shepherds? Two reasons I think uh, stick out is that, number one, because God loves to use ordinary people in his extraordinary plan. We see the life of Abraham. Abraham was nothing but a, but a shepherd that God called out of his homeland, of the land of his fathers, to be the patriarch of the Israelites. We see David. David was a what? A shepherd. He was a shepherd who, his, who was out in the fields when, 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 um, when the prophet came to, to look at all of Jesse's sons to see which one could be king, his dad, Jesse, didn't even see fit to bring David in from the fields. David is, is in the fields, and yet he is the next king of Israel, and God uses him mightily. And then if we just go back to last week, Mary. Mary, a poor, a poor girl, teenage girl from Nazareth, who was waiting on her wedding day. And God 
chooses to use her to deliver the Messiah. God loves throughout scripture to use ordinary people for his extraordinary plan. Number two, I think the second reason is that because God shows that the Messiah is born for all people, even the poor and the marginalized of society. Luke includes this because he wants to to lift up these people and to show that Jesus is here for them. But look at what verse 11 says, what the angels tell the shepherds is that today in the city of David, a savior was what? Born for you. Not born for rich people, not born for the influencers of society. No, born for you. God wants to show that Jesus is for all of those that he calls to repentance. Not just those who are good enough, because the Bible says there's no one good enough. Jesus is for everyone. We see the angels show up and, and, and make the, the announcement. It says a host of angels was there. We don't know how many that is. It's a lot. It seems like a lot at least. A choir of angels makes the announcement. And they announce peace. They announce that, that today it says, um, it says in verse 14, he says, it says they're, they're, they're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Jesus is the incarnation of the peace of God available to those who are called by God unto salvation. Those who are called by God to repent and believe in Jesus. He came to offer reconciliation between mankind and God. He came to offer peace between man and God. Peace and the forgiveness of sins. The shepherds hear the news and they immediately go to Bethlehem. They don't delay. They go and they see Jesus and they found they find him just as the angels tell them they will find him. And then after they see Jesus and, and tell Mary and Joseph about what they had seen and heard, they go out and they proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth to all who will listen. They go out and it says that, that, that people, um, in verse 18 it says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds glorified and they praise God for what they had seen and for what they had heard. How does Luke know these details? Well, again, he probably interviewed Mary. We see in verse 19, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Luke interviews Mary years after after Jesus has died and and gone or Jesus has died rose and then gone back up to heaven he interviews her and she tells him she tells him about these these things that happened on the night of Jesus's birth these things that that probably no one else would have known Mary was Luke's source for these details of the birth of Christ so we've seen his advent We've seen this announcement of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Next, we're going to see 
um, adoration. Adoration. Look at verses 21 through 40. It says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Not you, Asher. Of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we see eight days later, eight days from the night that Jesus was born, they, they, they circumcised Jesus. As was the custom in Leviticus 12, it says that every, every, um, eight, after eight days, the male, child, male children will be circumcised. What this did, though, is this identified Jesus with God's people, number one, but also God's covenant promises. It, it identified him with the Old Testament law and the Old Testament law of God. Next, he was named Jesus which means God saves. So not only was he identified with God's people, but he was also identified with God's mission for the world to offer peace to mankind. <clears throat> and then thirdly, he was dedicated to God. He submitted to the Father. Mary and, and, and probably Joseph too offered sacrifice for sins and for for purification the 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 woman after childbirth and due to or um referred in Levit leviticus 12 um was considered unclean for eight days and so she would have to go to the temple and and be purified by offering sacrifices and so that's why they come to the temple eight days later so they offer sacrifice for sins and for purification even as a baby, uh, Jesus followed God's law to a T. 
And he submitted himself to the Father's leadership. Jesus had to be under the law so that he could save us from the law. Notice that the offering was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Typically, this offering would be a lamb. um, But there was a provision in the law for those who could not afford a lamb. They could offer two, two birds instead, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this gives us, again, some insight into the humble earthly beginnings of Jesus. That he wasn't born into a rich, kingly, royal family. No, he was born into a lower class family. Then we see uh, prophecy and praise. We see this man, Simeon, who, uh, who was a man who was waiting to see Jesus so that he could die. He was waiting to see Jesus so that he could die and go and be with the Lord. He prophesies that Jesus will bring salvation. And this affirms what, what Gabriel had told Mary and Joseph. And one of the phrases that Simeon uses to refer to this salvation is this phrase, the consolation of Israel. Here's what, here's what R.C. Sproul has to say about this. The phrase, this phrase is used in the Bible to call attention to the Jewish hope of the coming of the Messiah. Those Jews who have groaned in times of bondage, wept in times of exile, who now were oppressed under the heavy burden of the tyranny of Rome, looked to heaven for their release from suffering. You see, it is a people who experience consistent grief, frustration, and pain who want to be consoled. The Messiah was sent by God to console Israel, to bring peace, to bring comfort, to bring healing and reconciliation. Simeon had been waiting his whole life for this moment to see Jesus. Can you imagine being Simeon day after day coming to the temple, knowing that God was not going to allow you to die until you saw the Messiah? Day after day, maybe leaving the temple every day, feeling a little disappointed that it wasn't today that Jesus came, but still obediently serving the Lord. Then one day, you show up at the temple just like every other day, and this young couple from Nazareth walks in holding a baby. And the Holy Spirit reveals to you that this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ figure. The relief that Simeon must have felt, the encouragement, the excitement that led him to proclaim that salvation had come to Israel. Consolation had come to hurt the hurting and the oppressed. Light had come. Revelation had come even to the Gentiles. Glory be to God. How many of us, after being disappointed by God's answer to a prayer that maybe we don't like, or if we're in a situation and that we don't like and we call God to deliver us, but he chooses not to deliver us from that situation, how many of us would choose just to give up and walk away? Or, or, or we just say, if, you know, if God's not going to help me, then I'll take it into my own hands. I'll do it myself. But yet, why can't we be like Simeon? 
who continued to faithfully serve God, even though it might have been very hard to do so. Mary is comforted by the words from Simeon. He, she is uh, comforted by this, this prophecy about her baby boy. But notice the, the personal note of prophecy that comes from Simeon. That it says in verse 34, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. This is referring to Jesus' death on the cross where, where Mary would personally witness her son hanging there, dying there. But here's what we see is that even as a baby submitting to the law of God, Jesus is living in the shadow of the cross where he will fulfill the law of God in the place of sinful man. Jesus came to die. He came to die for your sins and to offer reconciliation between you and God. Then we have the praise of Anna, who was a widowed woman, faithfully serving in the temple. She hears Simeon's testimony and she praises God for the Messiah that has finally come. So we have adoration. Adoring the Son of God and what he had come to do. And lastly, we have amazement. Look at verse 41. Every year, or sorry, go back. you can go back to verse 39. It says, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went, a, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Twelve years later, Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, which happened every year as a celebration of God delivering the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, a celebration of God's faithfulness, a celebration of, of God calling his people out to be his people. And Jesus was in the Father's house 
He was in the temple teaching and, and answering questions from the audience and, 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 and dialoguing with the other teachers and the other uh, Jewish people that were there. And the people were amazed that this 12-year-old boy is teaching like a learned man. But the people didn't understand what was really happening. They didn't understand that this man would spend his last Passover here some 20-something years later on the way to die for their sins. They didn't understand that he was the son of God sent to offer peace and con and uh, consolation to Israel, but that peace and consolation would require his blood spilt for them. This will be a familiar theme in Jesus' ministry as we go through the Gospel of Luke. People don't understand him. Even his own disciples do not understand what he came to do. A lot of these people that Jesus will meet, they're not willing to leave behind their notions of the Messiah and who he was supposed to be, or they're not willing to leave behind their notions of religion, uh, of a list of rules that, that provide righteousness. They're not willing to follow this carpenter from Bethlehem who is the Son of God. They were amazed but they didn't understand. In verses 51 and 52, we see that it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. We see that Jesus continued to live according to God's will, obeying his parents Increasing in wisdom, increasing in stature, increasing in favor with God's people and with God. Shepherds were met with a divine announcement about the Messiah. Simeon and Anna were met with the actual Messiah. The people in the temple were met with the Messiah. They were met with the Messiah because they were looking for him. The people of Israel lived in anticipation for the arrival of the Christ who would console them and save them. All throughout the Old Testament, we were told of a remnant that would, that would remain uh, throughout all of the stuff that happened. A remnant that would, be, that would continue to glorify God and be faithful to him and continue to follow him. These people who looked for the Messiah met the Messiah. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a part of it. Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna, the people in the temple. They met the Messiah and they praised God for the Messiah. My question to you is not tonight is, are you looking for Jesus? Are you looking for satisfaction and you can't find it in the world? Are you to the end of yourself and you have nowhere else to look? Look to Jesus. Meet the Messiah who was born for you, who was born to offer salvation to all who are called by him and seek repentance through faith. Look to Jesus. He's waiting to meet you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you again for these students who are here. I thank you for 
being able to open your word and come face to face with Jesus. With the Savior of humanity. With the one who would die, who died for our sins. Who lived a, a perfect sinless life and who died a substitutionary death in our place. Also that we could have the righteousness that is required for eternity with you. God, thank you for this reminder. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room tonight that does not have a relationship with you and, and they're feeling called by you to salvation, that they would have the courage to step out in faith, to repent of their sins and be saved. God, we love you. We thank you. Keep us safe as we leave this place tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.